In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. have indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson this week on the show danny parr and michelle foyer of lost origin currently pushing the boundaries of immersive performance in london join us to talk about their incredible experimental project David Oppenheim of the National Film Board of Canada stops by to talk about Draw Me Close, which is playing at the Soul Pepper Theatre in Toronto after years of development on the festival circuit. And we've got a pick of the week coming from, well, that would be telling. But before all that, just wanted to bring you up to speed on what's going on with the next stage coming up this January 7th through 9th in Pasadena. It has been a big week. And they're only getting bigger. This week, we announced that the team from Augie Award-winning Brianna's Garden, that would be director Lady Phoenix, uh, technical director uh, Sutu, executive producer Joanna Popper, and Brianna's sister, Janiah Palmer, will be on hand to talk about the augmented reality piece that is not only a tribute to Brianna Taylor— whose life was tragically cut short by reckless police violence, but as an exploration of how immersive technology can create space for processing grief and other complex aspects of this thing we call life. Now, that is a fantastic group of people to have as it is, but that was not the only thing we announced this week. In addition, we rolled out the full lineup for Room Escape Artists' immersive gaming track, including Andrew Andrew Preble of Escape My Room, New Orleans, who's bringing us up to speed on the efforts of the Ergo Escape Room Lobby to get help for their industry in the wake of the pandemic, a look at how big brands leverage immersive gaming and performance and marketing with the wild optimists Jay Rinsky of Little Cinema Digital and Terrence LeClaire of meta for You, plus... Tommy Haunton of Stash House LA in conversation with Brian Corbett, the creator of the Miss Jezebel Escape Room immersive theater hybrid work that is here in Los Angeles. Oh, but that's not all. We, we dropped our panel for XR for Immersive Storytellers, moderated by Ray Moscow and our own Catherine Yu. And, and on the festival side of things, I told you there's a lot, uh, we announced Darkfield Radio's Eternal as a special festival selection that all on-site badge holders will have the opportunity to experience. Uh, This is very exciting to me because it is one of my favorite things, full stop. And there's going to be even more dropping before the weekend. There are some hits going out on the social media feeds and in inboxes. Keep an eye on immersiveexp.org on social media. Uh, and also, of course, our own feeds. Keep an eye on your uh, mailbox if you are signed up for the Institute's newsletter. Um, and then uh, check in on Monday for certain when we announce our next headliner. Oh, yeah. Coming in hot. Coming in hot. You thought we were done? No, 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 no. There's a lot more. There's actually a lot more. And now, headlines. 
Hello, this is Catherine Yu, executive editor of No Proscenium, and here's what's in your immersive headlines for November 19th. First in Metaverse news, Wall Street Journal writer Joanna Stern grabbed two Oculus Quest headsets and locked herself in a Holiday Inn for 24 hours straight, planning to spend the day entirely in virtual reality across apps like Altspace, Horizon Workrooms, and Spatial. This included even trying to sleep inside the headset. So, how did it go? Here's the TLDR. Work meetings in VR are far better than Zoom, but social meetups weren't necessarily better, just different. Stern was also a big fan of experiences like Supernatural and Beat Saber, but also points out the pain points of spending so much time in virtual worlds, such as having to make four separate avatars for four separate apps, the difficulties typing while in VR, and the potential for motion-induced headaches. Writes Stern, the future is far off, but it's clear why tech companies are interested. In another part of the metaverse, Andrew Boz Bosworth, the future CTO of Meta and current head of Meta Reality Labs, has written a blog post about the importance of safety in VR. Writes Boz, We want everyone to feel like they're in control of their VR experience and feel safe on our platform, full stop. Though it should be noted that most of Meta's approach to safety in VR right now seems focused around blocking, muting, observing, and reporting malicious behavior and users. Yet, in an internal memo acquired by Financial Times, Bosworth apparently said he wanted, quote, almost Disney levels of safety, end quote, while also acknowledging the challenges in doing so. Elsewhere in yet another reality, Dreamscape Immersive has opened a new location in New Jersey just outside New York City. The location-based virtual reality company's newest venue will house three multi-sensory experiences, including Alien Zoo, Curse of the Lost Pearl, a magic projector adventure, and DreamWorks Dragons Flight Academy. This is their first East Coast location. Congrats to all of this year's Thea Award winners, which were announced during the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions, aka IAPA, Expo in Orlando this past week. These awards honor excellence in the themed entertainment industry, including theme parks, attractions, zoos, and museums. Winners included Level 99 in Massachusetts, the Stuntronics aerial robotics tech currently being used on Avengers Campus in Anaheim, and the Mario Kart augmented reality ride at Super Nintendo World in Japan. Writer Todd Martins of the LA Times recently pointed out the parallels between theme parks and the so-called metaverse, stating, quote, The metaverse is a virtual theme park, if you will, end quote. He believes that eventually we'll have something akin to the Disneyland model, where, quote, entertainment, technology, architecture, and more come together in spaces that blur technological lines, end quote. Martins continues by saying that Universal's Mario Kart attraction and Walt Disney World's Galactic Star Cruiser are ambitious bets that mass audiences will continue to crave less passive experiences, a furthering of a trend that was started with Disney's Toy Story Midway Mania ride and has continued to this day with Disney California Adventures Web Slingers, a Spider-Man adventure. Speaking of one galactic star cruiser, a small number of press have been invited to take an early preview tour of that very special themed immersive experience. If you're curious about what has been revealed so far, check out the mostly spoiler-free write-ups on Nerdist, IGN, or Bloomberg. Or peep the six new characters specific to the Halcyon, such as cruise director Lenka Mock, SK-620, or D309, which have been now revealed on StarWars.com. Bookings for Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser are only accepted by phone and are sold out through the end of June, according to Bloomberg. 
And these have been your immersive headlines. Thanks, Catherine. Regarding Star Cruiser, I don't know about you, but I'm actually avoiding reading any of this stuff because I don't want to know. I want to go in <laughs> as as cold as I can. Although I will read the tie-in comics because that's the kind of nerd I am. All right. <laughs> Joining us now are Danny Parr, the creative director, and Michelle Feuerlicht, the executive producer of Lost Origin, which is being presented by Factory 42, Almeida, and Sky in London. Uh, this is a fascinating project, and we're going to get all into it. So, Danny and Michelle, thank you for joining us. Thank Hello. you. Thanks. For starters, since it probably takes a moment to explain, uh, but in a good way, what is Lost Origin? <laughs> yeah, it's actually really, really hard to explain this very simply. Um, <laughs> we'll find out as we talk some more. But it's... Um, it, it's You're in the right place then. You're in the right place. Yeah, so. exactly. Good. Um, it's an immersive theatrical experience, essentially, where audiences journey in groups of six through a warehouse and they're on a secret mission as part of a uh, organization called Wing 7, where they have to uh, be part of an undercover unit tasked with bringing down a dark web marketplace called Emporium. So, so it's a documentary. Got- no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, so they've got to find the, um, the illegal goods in Emporium. They've got to find some damning evidence and figure out what the identity of the owner of this um, dark web marketplace is um, before he escapes. So that's essentially the mission. And then what you will uh, find out as we talk some more is that some very surprising things happen along the way. Um, we get a hint at the beginning from our mission lead, Marsha that there is she's picked up a cold spot in the warehouse which she thinks may be linked to some sort of paranormal presence um, and her colleague um, does not believe in the paranormal and is trying to shut it down but she thinks there may be something worth exploring there which is uh, one of her areas of expertise and she introduces us to some special kit which is her kind of um paranormal goggles i guess um which which you'll hear more about later and and she says we'll we'll get them sent in if we need them so we go in with wow. some sense that we're going to encounter something a bit unusual and and off we go so i'll leave it there for now but that's kind of the premise so so just a shaping it here so we we sort of start in a uh, a very agency heavy scenario for the yeah. audience yeah. they're they're given a mission they're given a brief and they're told they might wind up needing to use some tech that kind of comes in later. Is that how? It's yeah, rolling? yeah, oh, wow. yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess the idea that we uh, and and again, you know, we'll touch on this later, but we wanted to make sure that the whole experience is really narratively led, so that any tech that you encounter feels like it's in the world of the story so we sort of set that up from the beginning I guess um that these um these we we set up that their kit that Marsha has designed specially for this mission and she calls them her paraforensic scanners um and and so we kind of get introduced to them but essentially the first part of the experience introduces you to tech in quite a light way and then it grows gradually throughout the experience so at, at the beginning we are in more 
more sort of immersive theatre kind of world, I guess. Um, we get our mission briefing in a uh, secret sort of shipping container in a car park. And then we have to break into a building next door. And then we have to get past a series of sort of AI systems and um, security passwords and um, high tech kind of ways for, of uh, our character Josh of stopping us from getting into his the heart of his illegal operation emporium. So so we sort of it takes us some steps before we get into uh, the heart of, of, of the warehouse. Um, and then, as I say, sort of unusual things start to occur. <laughs> This is just from a narrative standpoint alone. This sounds like incredibly ambitious in a, in yeah. a way, <laughs> and and not in a bad way. Like, because um, I I can trace in my mind, like I can think of cognates where it's like, oh, this this is, there's a little bit of this to it. And this is like I've I've seen such structures work before. As as a team, both as Danny as creative director and and Michelle as as producer. Before even bringing the tech side into it, and we'll definitely get into the tech, what are the challenges of, of structuring a work like this? And I guess for those of us in the States, really agency-heavy immersive is you know, a bit of a novelty. I'm wondering if, if it's a little more familiar in, in London just because of how deeper the roots are there. I mean, I'd happily pass over to Michelle in a moment, but from my perspective, I think um, I, I think there's certainly lots of great immersive work out there in London, and there are really good companies doing a, a mixture of um, the, theatrical immersive work and tech-based immersive work. I guess what I didn't feel I'd seen was an immersive piece of an, an adventure, I guess, where you were with an actor for the whole piece. So you stay with the same actor for the whole journey. And it's a kind of guided adventure, if you like. But one of the things that I really wanted to explore as 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 a director is um, how you feel like you're all one team with the actor in a sort of non-hierarchical way so that they don't feel like they're being too kind of team leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you are with somebody who is taking you through this adventure and you're growing on this journey with them and getting to know them and get and 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 really kind of because there's only six of you in the audience you 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 develop a bit of a relationship with that that performer in character and then you meet some other actors along the way um but um i i think i i was quite excited about that element and the other thing that i wanted to do um but we we've got a slightly unusual project in that it's come from in narrative terms, it's come from the original conceit, um, which was going to be in two different museums, which I can talk about a bit later. But there were going originally going to be two short stories. And what we've done is kind of amalgamate them into one long story. <laughs> so there was a massive challenge to going, how do we do that? And um, I, I like my expectations being subverted as an audience member when I go to see something. So I wanted to see what would happen if we took audiences on what they thought was one journey with one kind of genre. And then we sort of sideswiped them into a completely different genre and a different type of unexpected mission, um, which is obviously the sort of paranormal journey that they go on to, which then becomes much more fantastical and uh, almost sort of magic realist. And, And putting the two together has had massive challenges and at times some audiences find that quite um a leap and other audiences think it's the best thing ever and I think when you're doing kind of you know 
truly experimental work that's the way it goes generally is that some people will go on that ride with you really willingly and others will feel like oh I thought we were on this kind of journey and now I'm now we're on a different one um and so that narratively that's been a a real challenge for us Danny just mentioned that this started off uh, involving a couple of museums. Uh, Michelle, I wonder if you could kind of talk to a, a bit of the origin story here. Simply, we will circle and get into the creative technologist side. But since since we've broached the topic, I kind of feel like there there might be some meat on the bones there. Yeah. So um, I actually joined this project in February, um, which were, um, was when we sort of started to do, to work on this sort of single location based experience. But prior to that. The teams had all been working on, as Danny said, two museum-based experiences. So one was going to be at the Natural History Museum and the other one was going to be at the Science Museum. And they were um, all in Magic Leap. So both experiences were going to be sort of fully Magic Leap experiences. Um, So during the pandemic, there was a massive, uh, obviously a massive impact on museums um, shutting down. And uh, the funders who are um, UKRI, Innovate UK, Audience of the Future um, funding, wanted um, the teams to continue exploring what it might look like as a a location-based experience, a single location-based experience. So that's when I came on board was to try and work out how we would do that. And it was obviously still during the lockdown. Um, so Danny and I only met, I think, six months in. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, we developed this entirely remotely. I mean, I think we we got into our location in August. So that was one of the major challenges was building a highly technical narrative audience driven experience in a physical location when <laughs> you're not physically together. Um, and Just a little uh, difficult. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as Danny said, it, it was very experimental. Um, that is essentially the point of the funding is to is to push the boundaries of what's been done before. So we didn't want to do what had been done before. Um, and we tried out a few things. And it, as Danny also said, it was all story driven. So we sort of developed very early on these um, experiential principles. So you know, what we wanted the experience to feel like for audiences, what we wanted it to do narratively, that it was completely story-driven, that the technology wasn't in there because it was Mm. technology, it was in there to drive the story forward, that the audiences always felt immersed in the experience. So we had like a really clear, I guess, blueprint Mm. of what we wanted the experience to feel like for audiences. And that's essentially what drove every single decision creatively on this project well and and that need to sort of because because of the funding source that you mentioned right is, is about these projects about pushing the envelope of what's possible yeah. technologically and, and experience wise so i wonder if you could maybe both talk to that sort of tightrope walk between playing with the toolbox uh and the kit and trying to still ground it really in the experience design because the temptation to just be like, well, we could do this uh, with this particular tool uh, 
can often be, you know, a siren call that that kind of leads projects astray. Yeah, in my experience, yeah, no, and and to be honest, I think we're all on, we were all on the same page. I don't think we ever had kind of heated discussions about that. I, I think we all instinctively knew, you know, if something didn't feel right. So at one point we had. Um, a laser maze <laughs> in the experience and while it would have been a really fun thing for audiences to do it was very puzzly very gamey mm. and it set it was right at the beginning of the experience and it set a tone that we didn't feel comfortable with because we knew the rest of the experience wasn't going to be like that and we knew that setting audience expectations of what they were going to do was really important to get right so as Danny said you we sort of slowly introduced the idea of interactivity into the piece so some of it's quite analog um, to start with but because ultimately our kind of big final interactive moment is with the magic leap and that is um, something that was carried over from the previous version of the project Um, and there is interactivity in that we wanted to introduce audiences to that interactivity and that agency in a very um, delicate way so that they didn't feel suddenly like oh I've got a headset on and I have to do things yeah Um, so that that was sort of the driving force aside from the fact that um, the funding is all about sort of pushing the state of the art of immersive technology in in visitor or entertainment experiences so we definitely had to use immersive technologies in interesting ways but it was always in the service of the story design it 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 reminds me structurally narratively it sort of reminds me of you know the third act or or the late in the second act moment when when you know batman or bond get their kit (laughs) Right. Like you've set up all the story and now it's like you go down to Q division or visit Lucius or, you know, Egon steps out. It's like, Oh, I built this new thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm, I'm wondering at the same time, were you worried or have you found in, in your running this with people that the audience is stumbling over the kit at all? Or are they kind of, you know, finding themselves that, oh, we're in that role. Like, here's the moment where we, we get the toys and we got to spend a moment to acclimate ourselves to the toys, but we're getting the toys in this world. I mean, from my perspective, narratively, I've been really surprised at how seamless that's felt. I was really worried about, exactly as you say, really, structurally, I was worried about putting Kit on kind of two thirds of the way through an experience. I thought it would feel you'd get really jarred out of the world doing that. Um, originally when we were going to be doing this this bit of the the piece in the Natural History Museum it magically always came first it was you know you got kitted up at magically right at the beginning so that was um, a challenge for us I think but the really great thing is that I think we've built up an expectation obviously that you're going to get them at some point and and what happens is in the room before Marsha we get communicated to by this ghost essentially through a series of objects and it builds and builds we have a magical experience where we get to interact with her using interactive projection so and then she starts speaking to us and saying she can see things that we can't and at that point Marsha says I'm going to call for the paraforensic headsets we know they're coming we move into the next space her crew arrives we get kitted up it all feels like it's escalating narratively mm. in each little moment and so I, I think what we've tried to do hope I hope successfully who knows um, but it feels successful anyway that moment even like it's a narrative jump but it but it it sort of builds gradually that we are hearing um 
this yeah. ghost communicate with us in different ways and then of course we put it on and we get to see what she can see which is uh full-blown cretaceous period creatures and um dragonflies and dinosaurs and you know and then it becomes obviously insanely exciting <laughs> um so um and, and then she appears in 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 sort of full hologram form in front of us as well and uh but that but that sort of we lead into that gradually and the audience seem to go on the ride with us very well really and and they seem to do it exactly as you as you kind of describe really in that kind of James Bondy this is the bit where we get the kit and 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 they're sort of expecting that I think so yeah certainly so far um if it's gone fairly smoothly touch a lot of wood um right good yeah I I would imagine like you know a lot of people are self-selecting into this who will be you know able to deal to deal with it um I guess it's sort of like, you know, this approach is fascinating to me because as soon as you described it, it kind of feels, I have this phrase I call Apple obvious. Like once you, once you've seen something and you're just like, of course that's how it works. And this, and, and there's often this whole like anxiety on the part of folks who are doing these projects of like, well, I don't know if they're going to understand the rules or how to use the thing. And we got to treat them all like they're, they're five-year-olds and like, yeah. oh, this is an MP3 player. You yeah, press yeah, the yeah. button, right? You know? Um, and, and instead to, uh, I mean, even if someone does have a problem, you know, it, it can be handled by the character. It, yeah. it can be had like in the context of the world, like, yeah, this stuff is strange. It is strange. Yeah. In the world, it's strange. And we're going to treat it like it's strange, but like it's special. And now we're going to go on. I think yeah. that's exactly right. And she and she she even says, um, you know, when when we get them, she says, you know, they're very sensitive kit and we might need to be, <laughs> you know, I've, I've only just invented them. This is the first time they've ever been out on the field. We might need to recalibrate, you know, so we... So we sort of lean into that, I guess, and kind of um, go, <laughs> go with the go with what the technology can and can't do in 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 a way narratively, you know. But I think also, you know, the, the onboarding was really carefully designed into the experience because the team had been working on the Magic Leap for several years and mm. sort of where where it fell down, where it was good, and also what audiences needed to know because they'd done a test already in some shopping centres prior to. Um, the pandemic so I think there was already a very strong idea of how you onboard people into a headset and make it really in world and very simple and not a surprise you know I don't I haven't seen any audiences sort of you know be completely baffled by what this is because you put it on and you still as it's you know mixed reality you're still seeing the world around you and it's gently introduced all the digital kind of 3d animations are gently introduced to you um so that was that was all really carefully designed into the project i think you know from the beginning um where where do you feel after you know you're in the middle of of producing this at the moment and and getting out into to people's hands and eyes and heads what sort of lessons are you feel like you're learning from this process from from that part of the process of encountering the audience is this going to be something you know obviously things can change i'm hedging around this question but it's like because i don't want to ask like simple like well is this the future of theater or is this the future of entertainment because that's 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 a daft question uh but do you do you get a sense that this is going to be 
fully its own thing or because of all of these cultural institutions that are very much interested in what this stuff can do and how it can talk to their existing audiences, but also bring new audiences in. Do you feel like there's going to be more of an embrace of these alternate modalities by the the sort of powers that be? Well, I think the purpose of this funding is is to sort of bring technologies to the creative industries because the UK has such a strong um, sort of industry of, of creative. Um, and so, you know, we are encouraged to experiment and R&D and to try out lots of different things um, and to bring, and, and it's called Audiences of the Future, so it's all about audience. And throughout, you know, the entire project, we've been running audience testing and user testing on everything just to sort of gauge what audiences respond well to and what they don't respond well to and so you know our entire um sort of I, I guess it's all R&D before even before even while it's live to audiences it's R&D but um you know we've been in on site testing it for for months now with with audiences and getting their feedback um so I guess we are trying to explore what audiences respond to and that's part of the kind of dissemination and and our role in in reporting back to the industry on what we've what we found about audiences but I don't you know I, I it is very experimental and you know I don't know necessarily what the future is but I think everyone's aware that you know augmented reality mixed reality virtual reality is you know a new form of audience engagement and it's interest. It's an interesting area to explore for creatives, but Danny might have more to say on that. Yeah, I mean, it's been fascinating for me. It's the first. Um, you know, my my background is as a theatre director. Um, I haven't uh, directed anything with mixed reality before, so this has been a really interesting journey for me. It's like having, um, you know, an extra set of tools in the toolkit, really, for me. You know, it's like. Um, you know that moment a long time ago where we where we first started experimenting way more in theatre with projection and projection design and then you know I think um and and the way sound the, the way sound design in theatre grew uh to maybe be much more cinematic and I, I think it 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 sort of allows us to tell the story or tell any story in 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 lots of new and different ways so for me it's um yeah just as a sort of on a very personal level it's been quite exciting to um open up a, a another world of of ways of telling stories i guess um and also to work with people from different disciplines because obviously i don't get to normally work with animators and games designers and experienced designers and um and think about borrowing from other genres you know like sort of light touch escape room type puzzles or um building worlds and telling stories through uh, the set design, you know, in that sort of very immersive way of of, of building uh, really great narrative clues through the absolutely incredible detail of the props, and um, so th- so the whole thing really sort of piecing together different ways of telling stories, and 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 the tech for me is one element of that. But as Michelle says, I think we always felt at the beginning like I don't think any project that is trying to foreground the tech is ever going to be successful in terms of immersing an audience fully in a world because really the tech should be in service to that world um and that's that's hard i think um but that's definitely something we're trying to achieve 
Well, and that's a lesson I think a lot of people could could stand to take deeply, deeply to heart. Danny, Michelle, thank you both so much. Uh, the press run of this uh, just concluded uh, last night, but uh, how much more time do people have uh, if they happen to be so lucky as to be in London uh, to check out Lost Origin? So um, the public run, uh, public test run <laughs> starts on the 21st of November and goes until the 4th of December. Fantastic. So it's just a two-week limited. So if uh, if you were in London and within the sound of my voice, uh, go down there, <laughs> check it out, <laughs> let us know. I think we dispatched one of, one of the team to go check it out. Uh, I am immensely, immensely jealous. Uh <laughs> Uh, I hope they enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, I, I got a, I got a feeling. So, sounds like so much work has been put into this. I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there's there's a future here for this piece. Thank you. Um, thank you both so much. Thanks very thank much for having us. Every week here in the podcast feed, you will be able to find something called the Review Crew Podcast. That is because on Wednesday nights in the NoPro Discord, we gather up a few members of the NoPro staff and we trade notes on the experiences we've been having for the previous week. That is where you will usually get a little preview of what the pick of the week is going to be, but not this week, because this week, the pick of the week falls to... Shelly Snyder, London curator. And Shelly can't be up when we're recording the thing <laughs> on West Coast Wednesday nights. Uh, not without us being incredibly cool. <laughs> Shelly, what is this week's pick of the week? Oh, this week's pick of the week is The Drop by Swamp Motel. All right, so Swamp Motel has been doing a lot of stuff online, mm-hmm. and in the past they've done a fair amount of uh, pieces of client work, mm-hmm. but this is a little different. What is The Drop? Give us the basics. All right, so The Drop is their first ticketed piece um, just to open to public audiences, um, and it is so good, it makes me angry. <laughs> it makes me jealous of all their clients who have gotten in-person work before, uh, and it makes me angry that their first open ticketed performance is this good. All right. So um, give us a little detail. So, so you know, it's really good, but like sort of uh, what's it about a little bit without, you know, spoiling. Too I much, would never possible. dare spoil this. Um, but what I will say is you, you show up to what feels like an escape room in a very sort of corporate environment and from there, the escape room goes very left. Uh, it starts in an elevator, which I can share. Um, and then it goes from the elevator to uh, other locations within the same building. It leaves that building. It goes oh other God. places in the surrounding area. There's puzzle solving. There's live camera feed. There's interaction there's chance for improvisation there's overlap with like the real world and what's going on around you and it's just so immersive it's so good all right all right so uh i feel like you touched a little bit on this but what makes this 
sorry, you've made the emphatic case that this is really, really good. But like, what makes it a pick of the week? What, what, what's the, what the French say? I don't know what that, uh, <laughs> that, makes, that makes it. Sure. Uh, <laughs> sorry, old Doctor Evil routines. Um, what, uh, what, what, what's the special sauce here? What, what elevates? It? So, okay, this is the special sauce here is it's. It is like sort of like an escape room uh, heisty thing on crack. Um, there's really nothing like it that I've seen on the London market in the last four years. That doesn't mean I've seen everything, but of the things that fit in the same sort of genre, I haven't seen anything like this. Um, where I will say the special sauce comes from is Swamp Motel has a lot of um, punch drunk graduates who know the value of not just like razor sharp set design, but things like lighting and prop work and scent and environment. Um, they really know how to layer those in. There's nothing cheap about this production. There's nothing sort of slapdash together. Um, I've noticed since London sort of started reopening, um, a lot of, companies are like that's great let's get something up and on its feet in like four weeks we got to put something out there as the market's opening up we got to get a fast cash grab and get out uh swamp motel has obviously spent like the last 18 months planning this like this was their oh, lockdown boy. project i am so jealous of you. <laughs> okay okay so uh you got the deets in front of you like how much longer it's going to be running in london it's running through the end of december currently um oh. however they are hoping to extend and given the fact that like the extent of the build that they've put in here it would be a damn shame if it was only open for like a period of six weeks oh man Okay, yeah, it's so, not the kind of show that you can just pack up and move to somewhere else. Like you'd have to rebuild from scratch. So what I'm hearing is in an ideal world, it extends enough that we get not only through the opening of the Burnt City, but we get all the way to the opening of Arkham. And then it's just yeah. no pro tour <laughs> 2022, <laughs> Noah's birthday, October of next year. Oh, yeah. We, we go. We go. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Okay. All right. I need to crash on your <laughs> Shelly, thank you so much. Thank you for staying up uh, to talk with us today. Of course. And uh, if you need to, folks, you'll be able to find links to The Drop at everythingimmersive.com. Just search The Drop or uh, on the Monday after this goes up, it'll be in the pick of the week slot on the website. Shelly, thank you so much. That was my pleasure. London really is so hot right now. All right. Uh, coming up next is our interview with David Oppenheim of the National Film Board of Canada. Wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up. Uh, the computer betrayed me once more. I have this little checklist I do now, and I have to add some more things onto it. Because despite the fact that the computer was telling me that uh, the Yeti microphone is being used, and despite the fact that David told me that I sounded like I was on mic, the... Uh, the recording tool actually recorded one of the other microphones. So we're really quiet in this one. It's okay. For once, I don't talk a lot. So uh doesn't hurt it too much. But apologies in advance. And now uh, even stretch your protocols on the recording. Uh, just so you know, when something like this happens, I feel it as a coldness in my soul. Like, like right where my solar plexus is, this like horrible feeling of dread uh, just crunches up around my center. And uh, a few of my hairs turned gray. I really hate it. So there you go. Sounds bad to you. Sounds like death to me. 
<laughs> but David's great and he does most of the talking. So enjoy this one. Bye. Joining us now is David Oppenheim, creative producer at the National Film Board of Canada. He's here to talk with us about Draw Me Close, which is, after a after a healthy gestation period, making its premiere very soon. David, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Noah. So this piece, uh, which was uh, written and created by uh, Jordan Tannehill, uh, this, uh, well, why don't you tell us what Draw Me Close is? <laughs> Yeah, so it's uh, from a, I guess how I would describe it to people is um, it's an intimate encounter between an audience member and an actress that uh, that charts a lifetime of, of a relationship between a mother and a son. And I think normally I would then talk about it perhaps from a formal perspective, which is just that it's an experience that blends uh, animation, uh, virtual reality, live performance, and sonography, uh, as well as uh, spatial sound design. And it does that to sort of the end of, to the ends, I guess, or the intention of um, portraying this uh, relationship between a mother and a son that you know, uh, circles around ideas of, of loving and, and inevitably losing um, those who have, I suppose, shaped us the most. Uh, and it was written and directed uh, by Jordan Tannehill. So it's a piece of creative nonfiction. Um, he would sort of refer to it in that manner versus, let's say, an autobiography. Uh, it's, it's a piece of creative nonfiction that takes the, the form of that uh, experience uh, between the audience member and an actress. So the work in progress version of this bowed in 2017. I think Tribeca was one of the earliest, if not the earliest place where it was seen in public. Uh, and then it previewed again in 2019. Uh, is, is this now the final form? Are, are we at, are we at feature? Feature complete makes it sound like you know you're shipping it out, which you're not. But like, like right. is 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 Jordan at the place where it's like, oh, this is the piece now? Yeah, I think so. I think we we feel that the final, um, or yeah, it's hard for me to say final as as like, yeah is apparent. Yeah. But the uh, so I'll just say this most recent um, and probably final phase of development that we did uh, between. The end of our three-week preview uh, at the Young Vic Theatre in London in January 2019, and this performance in Toronto at Soul Pepper Theatre allowed us to find what we think is the the final form of it, um, as well as you know, um, the, from a from a script point of view. Um, as well, I think what may be hard for me to let go of, which you know we can we can talk more about, um, is uh, saying that the underlying technology is final. When we first developed this uh, in a workshop with our co-production partner, 
the National Theatre in the UK. Um, you know, we were using technology that um, is sort of perhaps the the first of three major uh, sort of tech stack uh, tech stacks that we've used on this project. Um, and you can see even in the time that we've been working on this final phase of development that things have been changing as we work. Um, and so, you know, I already have some ideas of, of how I would like to um, tweak or improve the audience experience from a technology standpoint. But importantly, I guess for me, it's not about the technology at this point in the evolution of the piece. It's not about the technology uh, that we want to change perhaps down the road, impacting the narrative, the audience experience from um, an interaction standpoint. It's uh, about the underlying um, motion capture technology, for example, about um, moving perhaps to an untethered device that the audience member wears. So I think in that sense, it may not be final, but um, I think from a script point of view, from a, um, a formal point of view in terms of the interaction mechanics, all that kind of stuff, I'd say that this is our, our final piece. That is one of the interesting things about working in a world where functionally you know, the cameras and projectors to use a film metaphor are being reinvented every you know, six weeks. Um, and yet the telling of the story and the intent, the, the fundamental human interaction is, is something that, um, you know, there, there, there is an ideal form of that. And it's sort of like when the technology changes, it's like, Oh, can we get a greater fidelity? Can we get a little closer to, what's in our heads uh, now that, you know, the participant doesn't have to be tethered or now that the, you know, lip mocap is just this small box we shove on the end of another box. Right. All that sort of, all that sort of thing that kind of just sort of, you know, frees up the performer uh, and lets things get to be a little more real time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think to that end, we have, you know, over the four years uh, that the piece has been evolving, I think the technology, uh, even in that time, has changed um, in, in ways in which I think it did influence uh, some of the uh, audience experience that's that's not strictly fidelity. But I feel like, especially this last year and a half, allowed us to do work where we now feel uh, comfortable or happy in in the way that the um, technology um, has influenced the storytelling. I think that the greatest challenge is always just making sure that uh, it's the storytelling that leads uh, throughout a piece's evolution. That you know, uh, technology in the service of storytelling. Uh, so I, th I think we've gotten there by and large. I mean, I think that's always the elusive uh, challenge that, that um, I like to focus on uh, when working with storytelling forms that, um, you know, use technology. I mean, I suppose you can say that all of 
our forms of storytelling do. But but you know there is a difference I'd say at this point in the game between the linear film work that I uh, produce and work on and something like Draw Me Close. But you know I think we have found that form with Draw Me Close and yeah as I said I think the next main piece is. Um, you know, I think we can now move to uh, an experience that doesn't use a tethered uh, VR headset. And, and that will be, it won't be game changing, but it will change things like that sort of ghost-like feel that uh, the audience, some audience members notice of, of, you know, our light on their feet cable wrangler, you know, um, as, as amazing as, you know, uh, Angela is in this version that's showing in Toronto, um, there is still a cable to wrangle. So I think in that sense, uh, we may make that change, but, um, yeah, other than that, you wouldn't, we wouldn't recognize the, the, the differences in the experience beyond that. I think. Now, aside from the, the technical changes, uh, that have occurred over the course of development, you know, this was one of the first works that incorporated live actors doing a live performance into a VR experience. And that's practice has grown a bit, but still, still fairly rare. Particularly when the performer and the participant are are in the share of the physical space, like that. That is still super, super rare. Uh, even even pandemic notwithstanding, what what has the team from sort of performance side uh, learned about what works and what doesn't with with that process over the course of this? Has it has it changed fairly dramatically? uh techn- technical side notwithstanding about um i guess this question i suppose is really about what have you learned about working with an audience working with uh participants who don't know what's coming next and and thus are always an element of surprise in the unfolding of the narrative i i, I feel like in some ways, that's to me uh, a question and a challenge that's divorced from draw me close, but underlies a lot of the work that I've been doing um, with interactive forms of storytelling over the years. And that is, um, you're always learning with each work, with each piece, for me anyway, uh, how to balance user-centered design, um, interactive design principles with narrative forms of storytelling. And I think that's what's always interested me uh, and and what I have worked on uh, since before joining the National Film Board and, and since are interactive forms of narrative. And I'd say we're always learning from, from piece to piece, from year to year, um, to me, how to find what I'm chasing, which is that that optimal balance with each work uh, between the affordances of whatever medium we're working in, uh, user agency, which is kind of always at the heart of the work that I do, and uh, narrative storytelling. And, you know, I think we learned a lot in the course of, of creating Draw Me Close around what the affordances of the mediums we were working in and it's a hybrid work. So we're working, you know, in live performance theater, um, you know, there's aspects of, of uh, animation um, 
that are closer to film, I suppose, and of course, uh, interactive room scale VR. So I think we learned a lot over the four years. Um, the and I, I would say we're we're still learning. I mean, you know, this run of the show in Toronto is a six week run. Our previews at the Young Vic in 2019 uh, it was a three week run, and then prior to that, we were showing what we realized was a work in progress, but we didn't want to present to the festival audiences as a work in progress. So it was presented as uh, chapter one and chapter two. And that was at Tribeca in 2017 and the Venice Film Festival in, in 2017. I think that was the first year they presented VR. Um, and, you know, I'd say we can dive into sort of what we learned about the audience experience with Draw Me Close, but there's also something that we've been learning about the context in which we present the work, whether that's a festival, film festival in this case, or the interactive strands of those festivals, or within a theater space. Uh, a lot, I'd say, about just the, um, the rituals that audiences have become used to when attending both of those, you know, whether it's a festival or a theater. Um, and how those rituals maybe differ from watching a film in the theater or sitting at home. And I was just talking about this with a team last night is I think we're learning um, each time we put on the show about how to tweak um, the audience experience from the moment you hear about the show to the moment you leave. Uh, so yeah, always, always learning. And always tweaking, I guess. Your work with the National Film Board of Canada uh, gets to encompass like a, a lot of different projects in, in the XR space. Uh, you were producer on the Book of Distance, which is one of our favorites. How do you feel that the that, that the space for narrative works, participatory narrative works in? Um, in, in the XR space is going like there's there's as we kind of explode into this metaverse hype cycle the past few years it's felt like VR at least has been like kind of closing the iris down around games by which of course I mean former Facebook now meta owners of what was Oculus now just meta we're getting more and more interested in games even though they had this really robust um, you know, content team that was that was seeding some really interesting projects. Uh, you know, we, we watched kind of Google dip in and wander off as, as Google is wont to when it comes to this sort of work. You guys have been fairly consistent in making really emotionally grounded XR. So I wonder what your perspective on on uh, on, on where that part of the field is, is it, is it kind of being pushed into kind of an indie, you know, needs, needs something like the NFB to protect it or, or are, are we just still in this phase where things are only beginning to percolate and people maybe just don't know how powerful these experiences can be? Yeah, it's interesting to, to watch. Um, you know, I think the NFB as a public producer has been, producing uh, 
forms of uh, you know film and and uh, beginning in 1939 animation live action nonfiction and uh, at some points uh, drama um, and I think there's always a role there certainly was at that time and I believe still is a role for a public producer like the NFB um, and there certainly has been and, and is in, in, you know, since we've been producing interactive work uh, since around 2007, 2008. I would say it's a similar role that, uh, you know, indies play, that artists play, that anyone who supports uh, exploration, uh, risk-taking, uh, and storytelling um, you know, it, it, the the role that they uh, can play. I don't, you know, I think that um, there's always a challenge in terms of, particularly at the, the edges of new forms of storytelling with reaching an audience, uh, with finding a model that allows you to uh, put the technology and put the storytelling tools and resources in the hands of artists and makers, um, creative producers, and the like, and make work that reaches the audience that you intend to reach. Um, I think, you know, the, the marketplace will always look at different forces, but I, I, I don't feel like it's, um, I feel like it's a healthy time in, in some ways, uh, a challenging time in terms of maintaining the public sphere within uh, a lot of these uh, venues, whether they're, you know, location-based entertainment or virtual wor worlds. Um, I think there's always a challenge in maintaining, um, you know, public access, maintaining um, an openness in terms of who gets to uh, tell stories, uh, issues of representation, all of that kind of thing. And, you know, artists will find ways to tell stories and reach their audiences. I think we want to make it easier for them. Uh, I've seen some really, you know, really amazing work being done with live performance and virtual reality on platforms, um, sometimes, you know, custom or independent, sometimes commercial like VR chat. And, yeah, I think I think it's uh, important to push to make those places accessible to artists to uh, also to, you know, to figure out uh, in, in what ways do those platforms influence the ways in which we tell stories. And lately we've been having a lot of conversations around um wanting to ensure that what we do and where we try and reach audiences contributes to um, virtual worlds, whether you want to call it the metaverse or something else, that that are public in the, in the best sense of, of, of what public access and public platforms mean. So um, there's amazing work being done in lots of corners of interactive narrative of, of um, hybrid forms. And, you know, I just want to say, I think there, there, that's been the case um, since, you know, older forms like film and theater. I mean, uh, within the world of theater, uh, there's been 
I mean, ages of, of experimentation with, for example, one-on-one theater, which, which Draw Me Close draws on. Uh, some of the biggest references for us were outside of virtual platforms. And um, so those evolutions, those sort of challenges in, in how artists make work are, are all important and they, they all sort of are, are provide references to us and inspiration, I guess, as, as the NFB, as a public producer. Well, David, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Draw Me Close is at the Soul Pepper Theater Company uh, through December 12th. Um, if folks want to learn more about it, uh, where should they go? I think if you just search for Draw Me Close and uh, the National Film Board of Canada, you'll find um, a lot of information about the piece. Uh, the Toronto show, you can search for Soul Pepper. That's our co-presenting partner. Um, and you'll also see uh, the National Theatre uh, and their involvement in the piece. And then I'd say, you know, uh, we're hoping to tour Draw Me Close uh, beyond Canada, beyond the UK, hopefully to the uh, United States and Europe. So keep an eye out. Um, keep an eye out on, on various social platforms. and via- Excellent. All right, David, once again, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And we've reached the end of another hour, another episode of No Persinium. Uh, you'll notice we did not have a uh, check-in from the Immersiverse this week. Uh, it's been a little busy on the programming front. Uh, we also are, we've got a few more of those uh, big idea pieces in the can, uh, just going to be rolling them out. Next week's episode is going to be a wee bit different. Uh, it is our uh, holiday gift guide episode. So... We're going to have members of the team pop in, talk about what they're looking forward to, talk a little bit about like what they're thankful for, what's a good gift to give, and we've got a special produced piece uh, that I've uh, I've been uh, holding on to and trying to find the time to edit. Uh, so yeah, um, I got a lot of audio to do at the start of next week. Also, while I'm trying to, you know, keep the uh, keep the next stage going. Um, which, uh, which honestly, uh, things are, things are, things are going interesting. Uh, so, you know, I want to take a moment here. I know if you need to now, it's, it's okay. But if you happen to be someone who had a scholarship or a partial scholarship to HearFest in 2020, and remember the next stage is HearFest. We changed the name. If you're one of those and you're like, no one ever wrote me. I don't know what's going on. We've been writing you since like September and October and, and we haven't heard from you and we're going to release your ticket. You've got a wait list of folks, creators, students, uh, rising voices who we would love to have at the thing, but we've been holding out because we don't want to take away something that we gave away that we gave. We really don't, but there is like two dozen of you who have not responded at all. And it's almost Thanksgiving and I've got no choice. So consider this the final boarding call. If you had a scholarship, please check your spam. I'm, I'm, 
I try to do this stuff in as good faith as I can. It is a, it is a practically a personality defect of mine. Um, definitely maladaptive for the world we live in. Um, but please check because I really don't want come December 1st, someone being like, oh, what happened to my thing? Time, time happened to your thing. Please check, please check, please check. Uh, if you were someone who had bought a ticket and got a refund, a partial refund, and you're like, hey, weren't you going to give me like a discount code to like get in? Also, check your spam. We've written y'all. There's a good number of you, like a lot of you. Uh, and we don't know at all whether you're intending on coming. And I, again, I've been trying really hard to do right by everybody. And if I don't have the intel, I can't take the proper action. And it, yeah, it, it, it hurts because I really don't want, you know, to ruin someone's Christmas. Um, that all said, um, in case you were like, oh, oh, there's some scholarships. We've got that waitlist already. So I'm sorry. We're not reopening. Uh, we're not opening back up. Uh, but, uh, we are, uh, there, there's a few of you out there who we're going to be reaching out to very, 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 very soon. So, uh, if you've already put in, um, back in the day, there's a good chance that you're going to be reached out to. So why don't you let me know that? Um, here's the thing. We are a nonprofit. Uh, we have fiscal sponsorship in the form of producer hub. So that means we can take donations. Uh, we also, uh, fund this, this particular program via Patreon. So I want to give a quick shout out to our Patreon backers, uh, our latest Ryan Brady, Emma Liddell and Hillary M. Thank you so much. We're on a quest to hit 400 backers by the end of the year, got under 70 to add to the mix. Um, we're doing this because we want to convince ourselves that we are not crazy to keep going on with this. Um, as you know, as you probably know, Patreon's how I pay the bills. Somehow. For at least a while, little while longer. I really don't want to have to go back to freelancing because then I have to cut back on what we do. And uh, then we def- deliver an inferior product. And then uh, even more inferior to what we already deliver. Uh, and then uh, next thing to people are like, oh, well, why am I giving money to this thing if, if they're not doing as much as they were doing? Uh, and then it's a death spiral. So really don't want to go there. So also know that a lot of you give already. So join if you can, patreon.com slash no proscenium, or just spread the word about what we make. It really, 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 really helps. Uh, and hopefully as more work opens up and more things happen things just kind of organically go that way uh but i feel like the community is making some really special stuff i feel like we're making some really special stuff and i hope that as we barrel forward in these uncertain times we're going to be able to uh do even more and make even better work for all of you want to also give a shout out to our sustaining backers they are ari hurston Brittany, deborah robinson elaine Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, David Bassick, Lonnie Hanson, Paul Farnell, Mark Baltazar, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all for keeping us going. Uh, we literally could not do this without you. Uh, and that's enough carnival barking from me today. Uh, 
we do have some big announcements coming. Also, uh, you know, check out, uh, there's a, a few industry events actually happening right now, uh, over this weekend. Uh, PXR is, uh, has been going on all week. I think it wraps up tomorrow. Um, that is the, uh, performance in XR event happening in Canada. Uh, and then, uh, we had, uh, we, we weren't, we're not going to be able to cover any of these live cause they're all happening at once. <laughs> And there's only like me and Catherine to run at this stuff and we're both busy. Um, so that's going on. Uh, there is our, our, our friend Muso fun over at, uh, the next scene agency is doing a, uh, summit in China, uh, that is going to be taking place over this weekend. And then there'll be some videos out of it in December that people will be able to check out that is going to come through. Uh, Muso's team did the Chinese interpretation of, the first immersive industry report that we produced back uh, with Ricky Briganti uh, a few years ago. So that's that's the connection there. That's going on. And the Oregon Shakespeare Festival is doing their Quills Fest uh, in uh, all um, no in the Museum of Other Realities, uh, which means you need to have a PC headset. Or they're also doing it on 2D, and they're producing that with uh, Artisan as part of that mix as well. Um, and also, uh, folks should take a look at the Black Immersive Creators Grant, which just went up on Artisan recently, and that is uh, that's being produced by uh, a, a board of folks, a lot of really great folks involved in that, uh, including uh, some some people from uh, from the closer parts of our community. Uh, I don't have the details right in front of me. I'm actually uh, doing this from memory at the moment, so I don't want to mess up and say the wrong name. I, I think I know everyone who's involved, but I don't want to get something wrong. But that's been being worked on for quite some time and is now live. And uh, you can check for that in the call sheet as well. All right. If you have uh, any questions, feel free to hit us up at pitches at nopersinium.com. Uh, if you're trying to get your work uh, into our newsletters or promoted, you want to go to everythingimmersive.com. That's where to start that process because we list everything at the site and then process through. Also, if you haven't been to that site in a while, and I know a lot of you haven't, it is really different now. It's a lot more discoverable. Chris Grimm has done some amazing work. I suggest you check it out. Uh, and we're going to be doing even more real soon. The plan is coming to fruition. If only there was more time to do everything. All right. Now I'm done. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan Lachlan for voicing our intro. Catherine Yu is the executive editor of No Pro and does the headlines. And every mistake. Dake and every little bit of accidental wisdom that came through here was from me, your host, your producer, uh, the uh, the ringmaster here of uh, the Haley's circuit of the immersive verse. Uh, Haley's circuit. Oh man, I messed up my Batman mythology. Anyway, it's me, no one else. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs> <laughs>